about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. But I want to start by thinking about this idea of being captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. You know that that's our vision. Whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out his freedom. I wonder if you've noticed, though, that the first part of that phrase, captivated by Jesus Christ, is all about formation. It is all about the way we are formed, being captivated by Jesus Christ. It's one of the ways of describing a growing in the Christian life. A growing in a knowledge and action and in our hearts in terms of what God is doing within us. It's being captivated by Jesus Christ. And at the same time, living out his freedom. So the point is to be captivated by Jesus Christ and to be public about our faith. To live out his freedom is not a private affair, it's a public affair. And that's what we're on about as a church. As we put that vision together originally, we were thinking about how do we do this as a church? How do we think about formation? And how do we think about us moving on from a meeting that we gather uh, together regularly and live out this freedom? And so this year, we've been thinking about the idea of going public and going deeper. Now, done it in that order... I know it's not the order we've done it in terms of our days, but I think that there's a reason for that, and I think that reason will become clear as we look at this a bit further. So what does it mean to go public, to live out his freedom? Well, last week we talked about this a little bit, and we noticed that we're living in a society that is fairly anxious, a chronically anxious society, a society where people worry about things all the time and are constantly speaking into situations because of their own anxiety. And some of what happens is we also don't take personal responsibility for our own behaviours frequently. And so that speaking into other people's lives sometimes is not done in a very responsible way. It's about shaming and blaming. And therefore, we've become a society that's very much orientated towards safety rather than adventure. We want to keep people out rather than invite them in. We want security, we want property, we want money, we want power, all to try and keep us safe rather than seek the adventure of embracing new things and new ideas and new thoughts which might lead us in a completely different direction. And we pointed out, of course, uh, that's been particularly true in the areas of refugees. Uh, We are not adventurous in that area at all. Now, of course, the question is, how do we live in a society like that? How do we have a public faith in a society like that? And we noticed from 1 Peter that they were being called to live a public life, uh, faith in a particular way. And we noticed that they were called to live their lives in a beautiful way, to live such good or beautiful lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify de- God on the day he visits. One of the ways of entering into any society, but particularly into our society, is to live good and beautiful lives. And I remember asking you the question last week, 
if you got to the end of your life, would people say that you have lived a good and beautiful life? Is that how they would describe the way you went about living your life out? In 1 Peter, though, we saw that there was an overlap between that concept. In fact, there was really no difference between the two in terms of being prepared to give an answer. They go hand in hand. They're very, very close to each other. And so he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And so being public about your faith means action, doing things, but also being prepared to speak about your faith. Now, Peter qualifies that by saying that we are to do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak um, maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be shamed of their slander. There's a way of approaching, there's there's an attitude that we are to have to those who might speak against us being prepared to give an answer. But nonetheless, it is an attitude which is gentle and with respect keeping a clear conscience. There's a certain tone about the way that we are to engage those in public life uh, in terms of faith. Now, those are big asks of any Christian. They are big things to do, and to a lesser or greater extent, we find ourselves being involved in being public in terms of beautiful lives and being prepared to give an answer. And sometimes I think what we do is kind of flip one way or the other, or neither way, actually. We just kind of avoid the whole thing. Um, So we find ourselves in a bit of a quandary here as to how do we actually do that well. Now, I've been around for around 50 years in terms of my Christian life, and I've seen lots and lots of examples of how to do this badly. I can remember a particular friend of mine who... Uh, shall remain nameless, um, who used to say to our friends in our same circle, he would come up to them and say, you're going to hell. And he'd just say it as bluntly as that. If you don't love Jesus, you're going to hell. Well, I can tell you, it didn't actually do us a lot of service at that particular point. He thought he was being fairly obvious and, you know, telling them the gospel in a, a particular way. He thought it was great. And yet, actually didn't achieve anything other than drive people away in a very unhelpful kind of way. I can remember being involved in other things where we were scared to speak about our faith. And so being involved in a local community youth centre and doing good things, but actually not really talking about Jesus ever. It's possible to kind of get the tone and the way we go about these things uh, possible to do them in an unhelpful kind of way. And so it takes work. It takes work to think through what does it mean for us to have a public faith? How does that actually work in our lives together? Well, later on this year, we've invited um, Glenn Scrivener to come and speak with us. He's going to come and talk to us on our weekend at home on the July the 6th to the 8th, and he's going to help us think about what it means to go public to think through those things, to do some training together about going public, to live our lives in such a way that we are able to answer for the faith that we have. And then in August, uh, from the 5th to 11th, we're planning a mission. Basically, we're inviting him to speak and we'll be uh, engaged in lots of different kinds of events on that occasion to invite people to, to encourage them to think about 
uh, who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So please put those in your diary. I think that's really important to do. Well, that's going public with our faith. But what does it mean to go deeper? Well, it's really interesting to think about this one because I think there's a lot of overlap between going public and going deeper. It seems evident that if you can go deeper, you're more likely to be public in what you do. The two are associated. So, if we are captivated by Jesus Christ, it's more likely we're going to live out his freedom. It's more likely we're going to live in a way that means that our faith is public. So let's do some thinking about that here this morning. And this morning I want to think about that passage in Luke, at the end of Luke chapter 24. Part of the reason I wanted to go there is because after Easter... We're planning to do a series on Acts. And this is kind of like the end of, well, it is the end of Luke, and it introduces us to Acts and what's taking place there. But I just wanted to notice a couple of things as we think about what's happening here in Luke. What's happened is Jesus has appeared amongst them in the upper room. Uh, some of them have been a bit doubtful about whether Jesus uh, actually was alive, but he appears to them, to the disciples. And then he has a conversation with them. Uh, just before he leaves. And it's interesting to see the pattern of that conversation. What I'm interested in here is the pattern of what Jesus does with his disciples as he sends them to go public. Because I think the pattern of what he does is instructive to us as we think about what it means to go public. In effect, what he does is go deeper with them. You can imagine the disciples are anxious, worried, and what does he do? Well, he opens their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Now, there's a particular thing going on here because he's just about to commission them um, as his disciples to be particular kinds of witnesses. But this pattern is actually pretty consistent if you look through the Gospels and through the rest of the New Testament. There is an understanding that develops in people's uh, minds about who Jesus is and what he's done that then equips them to go public. He opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And then he tells them, it's all about me. He said, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and for the repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You notice the first part of that? The Messiah will suffer and um, rise from the dead, and on the third day he will be um, raised from the dead. Sorry, I'm getting that wrong. The point being, of course, is that Jesus is explaining to them how the Scriptures point to this. Help us understand what Jesus is doing. Why it's all about him. Just prior to this passage, he's done the same thing with people who are on the road to Emmaus. He's explained to them the whole of scriptures and he's helped them to understand what God has been doing in all of history that has brought him to this point, to Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. And then he commissions them. So having gone deeper with them, having helped them understand who he is and what he's done, he goes deeper with them and then he says, as a result of that, you're going to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins. 
Now, he just doesn't send them out and say, you go and do that and, and this whole mission will be dependent on your failure or your success in, in terms of your ability to do this. What he does say to them is, I'm going to send you someone from the Father as I promised. Please wait for him. Don't go out in your own strength. This is not something you're going to be able to achieve by yourself. And so they wait. And of course, the Holy Spirit, as we discover in Acts chapter 1, comes upon them and empowers them to complete the commission that God, that Jesus has given them. And so there's this empowering of of the Holy Spirit to carry out this great mission of going to the nations with the proclamation that Jesus had risen from the dead and that there is repentance and forgiveness of sins. Now what's interesting is as they wait, as they've now learned who Jesus is, as they've gone deeper with Jesus, they gather together. You see that with great joy. They spend time together Worshipping him, they return to Jerusalem, they worship him and praise God in the temple. They come together to urge each other on, to encourage each other, to lift their eyes to God and what he's been doing. There's a going deeper moment, if you like, here as well, where they're encouraging one another. That's the pattern that frequently happens as we think about what it means to go deeper in the light of going public. What's so interesting about this passage is it does something else as well. It actually addresses some of the concerns that we have in our own society. Because you know how I mentioned previously that we have a society which is a bit anxious, where responsibility is a bit of a problem, where we have a a society orientated towards... um, Safety rather than adventure. What we start to see here is that Jesus actually answers some of those questions for us. The disciples, of course, are anxious as they gather together. They've got a much bigger task in some senses. No one around them really knows who Jesus is. They're beginning at the very beginning. And what does Jesus say to them in their anxiety? He says... Everything that has been written that must be fulfilled about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, and he opened their minds. Jesus is saying, I will be faithful. I have been in operation all of history. I know what I'm doing. I've died and I've been resurrected. Open your minds. See where you fit in this story. And know that God will be faithful to you. Cast all your anxieties on him. He will carry your burdens. The second thing that I notice is that in regards to this area of personal responsibility and our own behaviours, Jesus has something to say here too. You see, I think what happens with this idea of personal responsibility is that we go one of two ways. Uh, It infects us in one of two ways. At one level, we become overly responsible. 
And so the Christian person who becomes reacts to the idea that people are not being responsible starts to overreact and starts to think it's all dependent on me. And all of a sudden there's this terrible guilt about a public faith that drives us, makes us do strange and odd things and, and continues to push us forward and it's out of guilt that we do it. That's being overly responsible. Of course, being underly responsible means we actually just don't do it at all. We just ignore the whole thing. And what Jesus says here is, I will send my spirit upon you to enable you to do my mission. It's not about you. I went to the cross because you were under-responsible under or over-responsible. It's about me. I want you to do this in my power, in my strength, not in your own. And if you choose to go out there and do it in your own, you will fail. You won't do it too much. You won't do it enough, or you'll do it too much. Go out in my power and in my name. Be public in my power and in my name. And the third thing we noticed about our society, and, and it affects us as well, is that we're orientated towards safety rather than adventure. How does this word speak to us? Well, as they gather together to continually worship God, they have been sent on an amazing adventure. You see that? His name will be proclaimed to all nations. And we'll see that unfold in Acts. They're not meant to stay secure in Jerusalem to meet week by week in the, in the temple. They are being sent off to all kinds of places, all kinds of nations with this message to be proclaimed. Sometimes we need to find a safe harbour, a place where we can belong and grow strength. But the Christian life is about being public. It's about setting sail into the seas. We're built like boats. Boats don't stay in harbours. They go off to the seas. And that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples here. Set sail. Get on with it. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go deeper with you. You're going to have other people around you. But set sail. Be adventurous. Go public. The truth is, we are in an amazing part of Sydney. We've been richly resourced. Look at all of you. Amazing people that God has called to himself. Remarkable jewels. And we can take none of that for granted. It's not a coincidence that we are here, gathered this morning. We are an important kingdom outpost in this place at this time. We need to lift our game and lift our eyes in the power of the Spirit and go deeper and go public.
And I invite you to do that because I think we can be a blessing to this city and beyond. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.